Hi, and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about somebody impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Arnold Rocher, CEO and founder of Implicity. Dr. Rocher, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Hi, Sean. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, you know, thanks for having me in your podcast. Oh, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, so let's, let's get right into it. Uh, why did you create Implicity, and what does the company do? Yeah, so, um, so I'm a cardiac electrophysiologist, and, you know, we implant pacemakers, implantable defibrillators for our patients. And now there is a, a new technology that was brought by manufacturers, which is basically remote monitoring of these devices, which means a patient have a transmitter at home, and we are able as physicians to get the data wirelessly through the cloud to monitor our patients. And right. the thing is, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of data. It's, it's very useful. But then uh, it's basically becoming a burden because you get a lot of data that is not really interesting as well. And at Implicity, what I wanted to do is basically provide the best tools for, you know, colleagues, people like me, healthcare professionals, to help them really be able to monitor all their patients, uh, but also to, like, have the signal and not the noise about all the data coming in from, from abroad. Mm-hmm. So, so really the, the devices that these patients have are, putting, are outputting data, uh, an assortment of data sets and, and information, and you're – now, are you able – are you – tailoring what that signal is? Are you tailoring what data is provided to the clinician? Or is the clinician able to go in and identify the most important data that they're interested in, and then that is the only data that's fed? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, uh, each manufacturer is collecting the data coming from the devices. And then uh, manufacturers, they provide healthcare professionals with access to each website, so the first thing we do is really that we, you know, we get access to the data from manufacturers and we standardize it and we help healthcare professionals to access it through a single SaaS platform, a single cloud-based platform, you know, a secure platform where basically they can have all their patients by opposition to each vendor website. And the, the second thing that we do is that we develop uh, AI algorithms that are medical device software which help basically uh, the team to, you know, follow more effic- with more efficacy the patients by triaging, you know, some of the data, like contextualizing the alerts depending on the medication, for instance, or, you know, analyzing some of the data that we, we can have access to in order to, to get the follow-up more efficient. Right. And so now you're, you're leveraging the data from uh, – you know, other device manufacturers and their products, um, are you able to collect that data just from the devices or do you partner with those device manufacturers to uh, gain access to the data? Yeah. So, so obviously the device manufacturers are partners. Uh, we have very good relationships with them. We, we share the same customers and users uh, because, you know, cardiac electrophysiologists, they use the devices but also our platform. Um, 
And, you know, some of the data they're able to send us in a very good shape. Some of it we, we, we must develop other ways with our uh, approval to get it. Uh, but obviously we, we need to, to keep the, the best level of, of uh, quality for our shared customers. So that's definitely a partnership. Um, and I would say, you know, they, they have the hardware on their side because it's a medical device. There's a lot of cyber security involved but we get access from the cloud to our own cloud and deliver that to uh, providers. Do, do you encounter any, I mean, are, are the device manufacturers, uh, you know, on board with this? Is this something they realize that, that is a value to the clinicians using their devices? Or is there, do you ever get any sort of pushback from them in, in you know, gaining access to the data? You know, what, what's, what is their reaction mm. when you approach them about using yeah. the technology? Well, you know, I think now they really understand that uh, their customers, they, they want to have this kind of tools. Uh, so they, you know, they embrace basically the, the opinion of their customers at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, probably the main concern from manufacturers is the fact they, they are concerned that there could be some kind of uh, monitoring of, you know, um, device safety by third parties instead of having, you know, the, all the monitoring done by them. But I think uh, it is mature. I mean, they understand that it's, uh, it's the way uh, people want, want this to be used. And I think they also provide more and more services to their customers. So at some point, uh, I mean, Medtronic, they had bought a small company named Paysart in 2002 from General Electric. And this company was already providing kind of a universal, neutral way to deal with patients' data back then. So I think this is a trend they, they accept, even if, you know, they understand they cannot just do all by themselves because I, I think they tend to be, it tends to be hard for them to partner together as competitors. So they need third parties for that. Right. And do they, is there, are there concerns with, you know, either the device manufacturers or the clinicians, do they uh, address any issues over uh, data privacy for their for the patients that are, you know, that are being monitored, uh, are there any concerns? You know, how are you addressing data privacy and data management uh, and ensuring security in that area? Yeah, I, th I think this is a major concern. And uh, I think, you know, in terms of privacy, the way we deal with data uh, around devices inside the hospital is not perfect already. Uh, so, you know, mm -hmm. as a physician, for me, it's kind of a red line not to cross to, to have any uh, safety, safety, I mean, cybersecurity issues. So we are at the highest level of standard for the industry, uh, like, like the banks, basically. You know, we have, we have two levels of authentication for all our, our users, which is really not always the case for uh, other platforms, to be honest. And, uh, and, you know, this is the kind of industry, if you have any cybersecurity issue, you're basically dead the next day. So we take mm -hmm. it very seriously. And actually... Um, we were being granted access to a very, very large database of, of private information from patients in Europe um, of more than 3 million electronic health records to do research in AI. So we definitely had to, you know, be audited to, to show how we manage things and how, you know, everything is, is uh, encrypted or uh, safely preserved uh, around privacy, which is especially strong in Europe, for instance. Right, right. Um, and 
All right. So now we've been, we've been, you know, for the last 15, 16 months, you know, everyone has been involved uh, being at home and, you know, remote monitoring, telehealth has exploded, has, has grown uh, significantly. Um, you know, what, what, did, what are the challenges that, that emerged that, you know, maybe you saw or that the device manufacturers you work with or the clinicians that you work with, you know, what challenges uh, have emerged and uh, that your company may be helping to address? Or, you know, what, what have you seen in terms of remote monitoring um, as a result of the, the, the pandemic? Yeah. So, you know, obviously uh, remote care now is, a, is something big because of pandemic. Uh, but what is, what's interesting, you know, uh, when, when the pandemic occurred, so um, the hospitals, they, they had to kind of push back a patient that didn't have, you know, uh, uh, emergency care to, to be taken care of. But also the patient didn't really want to go to the hospital where all the COVID patients were at first, at least. Um, and we saw a lot of, of course, you saw that telehealth for getting a lot of attention and use and adoption. But what's interesting in our case is that remote monitoring of devices, you know, pacemakers, implantable defibrillators, it's not only that it, it was useful during pandemic. Remote monitoring of this patient is actually the standard of care because it's, it's better than even having an irregular in-clinic follow-up every three months or every six months, which is, you know, kind of very uh, impressive uh, results. Uh, remote monitoring patients, they have a mortality decrease up to 40% within a year, even before COVID. So in a way, um, you know, we had inertia of adoption before COVID for many reasons. And I think the pandemic made everyone, you know, aware that they, they, they really had to, to basically scale this activity. And you have, you know, centers that already had the remote monitoring a lot developed, especially in the US, and some centers in Europe were, I think, very pleased that they did. And some others, you know, had just maybe 5, 10, 20% of their patients remotely followed, and then they had to keep calling patients to come back to the hospital, maybe to check on the battery, which is something that cannot wait in case you have to change the device, for instance. Right. And, and I think, you know, they, they probably felt like, okay, well, it's, it's really a pity that we haven't adopted this technology, which is already a standard of care and we know it, but, you know, always something has to do, basically. And, and so we got a lot of attention from, I think, uh, healthcare professionals, but also the administrative staff in hospitals, but also payers, in the fact that this kind of technology is not only helpful, but it's basically what's going to be done by everyone now. Right. Um, and another issue, though, with uh, remote monitoring telehealth uh, that I know there's, you know, there's question marks about um, is, is as it relates to the reimbursement uh, of these technologies, of these therapies, you know, implementing uh, monitoring and, and, you know, having a reimbursement protocol for it, um, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen that need to happen with regard to reimbursement, uh, whether it be for remote monitoring or data ma management or telehealth uh, mm. that, you know, we'll see, you know, because I know there was some, you know, almost like emergency 
systems put in or emergency uh, reimbursement uh, procedures put in for the pand again for the pandemic. But what long term resolutions do we need? Yeah. So what we saw was so it was interesting. So in the U.S., um, a lot of you know a lot of remote monitoring is covered uh, for Medicare and private insurance. Um, so I would say that's why the U.S. is quite in advance on this side, and probably you know, 40, 50 percent of patients are remotely monitored. It should be 100 percent, but still, in the Europe, where reimbursement is really scarce or inexistent, uh, it's probably like 10 percent of patients. Uh, so you can see that uh, definitely reimbursement uh, is, is something very important, of course. Uh, but what mm -hmm. we saw is. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of you know eligibility criteria were uh, more lax. You know, more uh, well, it was you know they, they, as you said, kind of emergency um, changes on the way that some patient could be eligible, etc. And we saw that adoption grew a lot, uh, especially in Europe because of that. And I think it tells that you know we always say uh, telehealth or uh, new technology for physicians. You always hear, um, you know, physicians are reluctant to use it, etc. But we basically saw that it was not the case, and that people are really, you know, both patients and healthcare professionals they are really able to 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 use it to cope, to cope with these new technologies. So I think what we expect is basically to see um, some more, um, you know, openness in the space of, in terms of regulation. Uh, and maybe in terms of eligibility for patients, uh, you know, coverage. And also I think um, that um, we need, well, in Europe, we definitely will see and will need um, that most countries adopt some kind of reimbursement, which, you know, in France, it, for instance, it's experimental, uh, but in Germany or in UK or in other great countries, they have barely nothing. Uh, in terms of remote monitoring, even through, uh, as I said, a mortality decrease is proven through many studies. So it's, you know, it's not like it's an option. It's more as uh, a standard of care. And in the right. U.S., um, we, we had kind of mixed signals. Uh, you, you know, some of the, uh, so remote monitoring in the U.S. is reimbursed specifically for, uh, you know, implantable devices. It, these are specific codes. These are not the generic codes that started uh, in January uh, 2020. Uh, so that's, that's, let's say, better. So I guess we will see more um, specific codes for clinic care management, maybe heart failure or other conditions. Um, mm -hmm. But the industry needs to see, uh, you know, some kind of uh, I mean, continuous uh, um, legal position around reimbursement and, you know, confidence about the fact it's not going to be decreased a lot by payers, I think. Yeah, and, and is there a reason uh, that you can point to of why there's such a disparity? I mean, granted, like you said, the U.S. is, is at 50%. It should be 100%. But, you know, Europe, you, you mentioned that it's, it could be around 10%. You know, why is there such a disparity uh, between Europe and the U.S.? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, I think reimbursement is uh, definitely some of it. Uh, but I, I also think that, um, you know, you have sometimes new technologies. Uh, I mean, um, ablation, you know, radiofrequency ablation, for instance, 
cardiac electrophysiologists, they love it. It's invasive. It's uh, helping new patients. Uh, when it comes to remote monitoring, uh, what we speak about is basically a new paradigm where healthcare professional needs to, you know, be in front of a computer, review data about patients that are not even there. And it's not mm -hmm. like the, the thing they like the most to do. And, you know, it's definitely bringing some value to the patients and to the society. But uh, it maybe it's not, not the first thing they would like to put in place, uh, like, you know, in the morning waking up. Um, and if it's not reimbursed, at some point there, there will be no pressure from the system. I mean, the, the patient, basically, they don't even know that exists. Uh, right. So even in the US, the patient, they don't know really what it is. Um, so I think um, it's very lack of interest plus, you know, lack of, knowledge from patient plus non-existing reimbursement. All these are really bad reasons, to be honest, but right. uh, because this is helping patients. But um, that's probably why it's there. And also, you know, reimbursement takes so much time in Europe. And again, no good reason for that. But they, Europe wants to keep um, healthcare costs really contained. And the US probably as well, but still, uh, U.S. Uh, globally spends more, so um, innovation is is maybe more accessible uh, usually in the U.S. Right, right. Well, hopefully, with the emergence of telehealth and the the spotlight that was put on it in the pandemic, that it that it ex extends to things like remote monitoring and and I would I would think in in many cases I mean I would think a a uh, having a remote monitoring situation would ultimately be less expensive to a to a uh, you know in terms of reimbursement uh, because it it can pick up when there's an issue or a problem or a concern so the patient doesn't get to the to the point where it's an emergency situation and then that is going to cost much more than it would have cost to simply monitor. Uh, uh, a situation. So hopefully the the attitudes and the the uh, spotlight that's been put on telehealth changes some things. Yeah, and and actually, you know, you you made a great point because I said that mortality is decreased. So usually that means it it costs more because people don't die. And when I mean it's stupid, but when people die, the cost stops, right? Uh, and despite that, remote monitoring has proven that it decreases the cost for patients from $1,000 to $4,000 a year, which means, wow. you know, you're really, you, and it's kind of a very few verticals in, in digital health where you see both cost reduction and, you know, mortality decrease, like full mortality, and, mm -hmm. and it is kind of, you know, really a digital technology. So, and I think that's the promise of telehealth globally is like, containing the cost, but still delivering uh, better care at scale. So you made a great point. Well, I appreciate that. Every, every so often a, a blind squirrel finds a nut. So, uh, you know, um, but, uh, I, you know, I appreciate you sharing the information uh, that you did. Unfortunately, though, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest once again, Dr. Arnold Rochier, for, uh, for joining us and, and talking about his company, Implicity, and remote, uh, remote monitoring technology. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. So until next time, this has been Sean Fenske saying thanks for listening.